Everyone has their jackets on tonight. <laughs> Does anyone here need heat warmers? Hand warmers, feet warmers, we have them in the back for you if you need them. Um, for a second, it looked like everybody was getting off the subway in New York in the back. Everybody had on their black tonight. I was super proud of you guys. Um, some of you came in with shorts and t-shirts on. We feel like you need to go back to your car. Dylan, I'm looking at you. Get your jacket, come back. Um, no, it's so awesome to have this cool weather. Um, feels like we actually have a season today uh, in South Florida here. Uh, my name is Keith Case, and I am a pastor here at Providencia, West Palm Beach. And we're in a series this whole year called Reimagine. And this month, we're talking about home. We're talking about reimagining home. And yesterday, we had a retreat uh, here with Memorial Presbyterian Church. They were hosting it. A friend of mine named Chuck DeGroat uh, was here. And Chuck was a good friend of mine when I was in seminary and uh, has become even a better friend since. And he and I share a friend uh, a lady named Monica Taffender, who you've probably heard me talk about before. And Monica was the first woman that I ever met who fought for my heart. She really fought for my heart. I'd never had a woman do that uh, like the way that she did. And um, just amazing gift that she gave to me. And yesterday when we were preparing for the retreat, we were walking in and, and Chuck said, Hey, I need, I need you, uh, Sarah Claire, to help me out, and to be my helper. And Sarah Claire goes, uh, well, um, only if you mean the warrior version of that word, helper. Uh, because in, in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2, when it talks about the, the, the male and female being created, and it says that the woman would be a helper, a suitable helper, the word there is like a warrior. It's a woman who's a warrior. That's right. And uh, if you know Sarah Claire... If you've spent any time with her one-on-one, -on -one, if you've been in her story group, if you've sat with her in her leadership, you know that she is a warrior. And she's a warrior for the hearts of people. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So without further ado, she's going to share with us tonight uh, from the word and from her heart, Sarah Claire. And Thank you, Keith. Didn't want to begin in tears, but here we are. Um, I am really honored to be here in this space. Um, okay, we're gonna get it. Um, I love the story of God. I love this church. Um, I love what the gospel has, mm, has done in my life. Um, and I love the female voice, and I love that this church honors that and elevates that and celebrates that. So I really do feel it an honor to be here. So thanks, Keith, for asking me and for giving me this space. Um, so kind of the three points. We're going to keep three points because it's going to help me be organized and help you follow me or go with me. Um, so tonight I want to you know, hone in on that we have hope that we can be at home within ourselves, and that we are healed. When we are healed, we can offer healing to others and become a hospital. So with that in mind, um, I want us to dive into this scripture. So we are reading tonight from Acts 16, 25 through 34. So even as I read this, I just want you to notice um, the emotion, the character, and the story 
So that's something that's helped me kind of uh, become more uh, rooted and alive when I read scripture is, is noticing the emotion. These are characters, these are people, and like there's a narrative going on. So as I read this, just invite you, and as this whole message goes on, um, kind of go with me into that journey. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so hope, home, hospital. Let's go. Uh, so we first find these characters in a prison, in jail, and they are singing songs of praise. So this kind of, you know, made my brain go to similar instances. So let's say Johnny Cash in the Folsom Prison, bringing hope, bringing life into a very dead experience, a very uh, oppressed, enslaved experience. Um, I heard Kanye this week was up in a prison and doing his work, um, bringing, uh, you know, this music and this message. So he's in there bringing the hope, bringing the life. Um, and also, we were given a video um, by Jillian this week of an opera singer in Chile that um, in the city there's uh, protests, there is a state of emergency that was um, called upon by the government due to protest wages, subway, so like a lot of things going on there. But there's this video of there's a curfew, right? So no one can go out because of the violence, because of the fear. And there's this opera singer who is standing at the top of her apartment in the city, and she starts to sing, and she starts to sing this song of peace. I think it's like the right to live in peace is the translation of the song that she sings. And her voice is carrying over this very desolate, I mean, there's like nobody in the streets because they're not allowed to be in the streets because it's dangerous to be in the streets. And she's one of those people that's locked in a prison of her own home. And her voice, her song carries in the streets. Um, so I hear these like stories of human resilience, of spiritual hope, of this perspective that somehow these people have in this very like tense space, um, and that's what we see here with Paul and Silas as well. These are men, and they're not like Johnny Cash or Kanye going into the prison. They are the guys in the prison. They are the the prisoners, and they even find it in themselves to praise, to like offer hymns of praise. So I'm thinking, that sounds crazy. Like part of me is just like, wow, I don't know if I have that in me sometimes. Um, 
So I kind of ask you, like, do you relate? Like, is that something that feels like, yeah, I could be in that and I could be totally chipper and hopeful and, or would you be in that space and just like desolate of soul? So like this question, how do we find hope in the face of hopelessness? So going into verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Um, so there's this reality of these men not allowing their souls to be taken down by their reality um, of their chains, their wounds, their enslavement. Um, and this kind of, and they're singing praises. So I think, okay, my mom, my dear, beautiful, sweet mother, uh, is a person that is a very, like, praise God in the storm, perspected Christian. So she is always, my whole life, um, if there's ever something going on that's hard, and like a little twisty or a little emotional, her movement and her kind of, what she offers is like, well, you just you need to praise God in the storm. And that's because that's how she moved through a lot of pain in her life. So she's offering me that out of her own story. But me and my story, you know, she's an Enneagram 7. I'm an Enneagram 7 maybe because she's such a strong 7. Um, so that eternal optimist that, like, you know, tomorrow is going to be better and we can praise God in this storm, um, it rubbed off on me for sure. But then as I'm kind of going into this journey of trying to be present to myself, present to my pain, doing that type of a work, I've often found myself like, Mom, let me feel my pain. You know, like, I can't jump right there. Um, and I think that there's this balance of healthy grieving and also praising God, absolutely. But where we find these guys is they are processed enough in some way that they are like praising God in this storm. Um, so I'm gonna defer to mom on this one. Um, so verse 27, the jailer woke up and then he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So we first started with the psychology of like um, Paul and Silas, their movement towards gratitude, their movement towards praise and suffering. But now we're going to step into the shoes of the jailer for a moment. Um, so we begin to see his jailer, or his uh, reality has been threatened. So his livelihood, his safety. So we don't know if he, you know, you can kind of go many places with this, his psychology. Did he want to kill himself because he was afraid he was going to be murdered by these prisoners? We don't know. Was he afraid that his um, employer or his livelihood uh, you know, his employer would be upset or his livelihood would be gone because that's his job is to be the jailer of this jail. So we don't know, but clearly there was enough despair in his experience that he was moved to draw his sword and to attempt to take his own life. So out of his deep fear and despair, he turns the sword on himself. So this kind of brings us to this... Um, concept, this topic, this reality of a word that maybe we don't talk about in the church a lot, maybe we don't talk about it well, even in society, and that's suicide, because that's what he's about to do here. He's about to draw his sword and take his own life. Um, so suicide is actually one of the top 10. There are 10 like causing, leading causes of death in America right now. Suicide is one of them. So it's a thing that we have to learn to talk about. And if you've hung around Providencia long enough, you know we are passionate about mental health. We're passionate about um, creating conversations and spaces for us to be known in those despair moments, those shame moments, where often your brain would tell you there is no other way out. But what we believe because of the hope of the gospel and because of the hope that is within even this story, that there is a reason to live. 
And this, um, this man, this jailer, didn't have that perspective at this moment. So he was about to take his own life. Um, and I remember the first time suicide was a concept in my life was when I was in second grade and a, a little girl, just like me, I guess, in second grade, we were, um, her, my mom got a phone call and she was like, I remember like seeing her with the phone, you know, with a cord back then. And um, she, it was like her affect completely changed. And I just remember her kind of processing this information of whatever this person was telling her. And um, I don't know how I knew, but because I don't remember what she said, but I knew that there had, but she said, you know, Heather's not going to be in school the next couple of days. I was like, okay. She's like, her mom has died. Okay. And it was, I don't know how she said it, but it, her mother had taken her own life. And, and this friend of mine had found her mother at that age, had, after she had taken her own life. And so just that helpless feeling and that like very weighty, heavy thing that I'm, I'm not, um, I know that some of you maybe in this room have experienced the, the effects or the ripples of suicide in some way, so I'm sensitive to that as I even speak of this, but um, that there is this helplessness, this despair, this weight of that, and even as a little girl, and that I knew, even growing up, that there wasn't really a space, people didn't talk about it. There was this shame, this like silence about it, that we don't discuss that. Um, so, but even in our scripture here, um, we're finding that this is a reality, that this man is in that much despair that he is about to take his own life. And so in verse 28, Paul, and I can imagine that this is a guttural, like out of the depths of him, cry, he shouts, don't harm yourself, we're all here. So he calls out to him to not take his own life. Um, Do thyself no harm. So I often, I am a, I'm a therapist by trade right now, and I also sit and lead story groups here, and I'm, um, I love to listen, and I love to be with you all in the things that feel hard and twisty at times, um, but when I'm in my therapist chair, or when I'm in a story group, or when I'm sitting with someone in deep heart, like hard heart stuff and despair, I find that my cry like echoes as strong, and I can unite with Paul's cry of like, don't harm yourself, like don't hurt yourself, you don't have to do that, like we're here, I'm here. Um, and so this past week um, in story group, which is our kind of intentional community listening, processing, very um, trying to create as safe a place as we can facilitate it this, you know, as we are, um, this rhythm that we do every week called story group. Um, last week, we're all sitting and we sit here. My group sits right here. And um, we've been meeting together as this group for about two months. And so their um, trust has started to become, it's started to be there, right? Where you first meet people, you don't really know how deep you can go or how much, how many masks you can take off. But at this point in our journey together, and some of us have been friends for years as well, but there's this courage to like really let people know like where we are, you know, to really take off the masks and be seen. And so this past week, that happened. I just watched woman after woman just take this giant leap of faith to say, this is where I am and who I am. This is my truth. These are the things I'm struggling with, and I want to be known in them. And usually I kind of, and even if I don't say it in the back of my head, I feel that like, you don't have to hurt yourself anymore. Like you don't have to stay in that. There is freedom, there's hope. But this week, like every woman said it to the other woman. It was just like this chorus of like exactly what Paul's saying. Like, don't, you don't have to hurt yourself. We're here. 
like that exact scripture. You do not have to harm yourself. We are here. Um, I feel like that's the cry of our story group. I feel like that's the cry of our church. And I want that to be the cry for our city, for the hearts of our city, that we don't have to continue to hurt ourselves because we're here. There are people here who are willing to listen and show up. Um, so now, kind of moving into our second point, the looming question is, why didn't they run? Right, so these are prisoners. They're free now. Chains are off. Why didn't they run? So our second point is home. So like Keith said, we had this retreat um, with Chuck. It was very special. We sat here, feeling the <laughs> physical spaces. Um, and uh, he offered us these three questions that come from Genesis. And also, if you hung around here long enough, you've heard these questions. So the first one, Genesis 3, God's asking, where are you? So that's just a check-in for his, like, a kindness, curiosity, like, where are you? Where are you at? You know, where are you at in your body? Where are you at in your story? Like, are you distracted? Are you present? Are you here? Are you grieving? Where are you? So we were invited into that question. Um, the second question was, who told you? And that's kind of this... Um, who lied to you is another way to say that. It's like, who lied to you and told you you weren't enough? Like, who lied to you and told you that you're only valuable for what you offer others? Who lied to you and told you that you are not safe? And a lot of times that is the, the voice of the enemy, like the adversary, the serpent in Genesis, telling us these lies. So it's like identifying who told me that, and is that true? And oftentimes it's not true, based on the truth of the gospel. Come on. So, um, and the third question was, what have you done with your hunger? And that's like, what have you done with your longing? Like, where have you taken it? Like, the hunger of Adam and Eve took them to the fruit because they wanted to be more than they were, right? More than just human. Um, but asking us, like, where have you gone with your hunger? So in each of these sessions, he kind of expounded on these questions, and he invited us to be more connected to our center, to our story, to God, we threw around this idea that God is more present to us than we even are to ourselves, and that from that place, we are able to see God as curious and kind and gentle. It is from that center that we are able to feel at home and enough in God, and that God would hold our faces. We did this thing where he asked us to hold our faces like this, and imagine God holding our face and saying, I see you, I love you, you're enough instead of that shame that we feel sometimes from this perceived voice of God. But what if we felt centered in ourselves? What if we felt at home within ourselves? I've been kind of processing and wrestling this in my own story. Um, I have moved a lot in the past. Uh, so I went to Florida State for four years, and I lived in a different residence, so like 18 to 22. I lived in a different dorm or apartment or whatever. And then after that, I moved a lot. I lived out of a suitcase for a year and a half on tour. I lived in six different cities. Home, I was like really not, I didn't have this like home. I've never lived in one place for more than like a year and a half in my adult life. So I don't know if that feels weird to you or like, cause some of you maybe have like lived in the same house for a long time, but I really haven't. And it dawned on me the other day and I was like, kind of grieved by it, by this like constant change, constant free finding of home. So then I moved to West Palm and um, I was looking for home, but I, I kind of started to 
have this like phrase that I would tell myself like, well, home is wherever I am because I kind of had to. I didn't know like my hometown was home, but you grow up and you expand and you're like, well, that doesn't really feel like home right now. Um, and so I got this idea like home is wherever I am. And I think I needed that to be true. Um, but I will tell you like this church and this city has become one of the most consistent things in my life, um, my adult life. The rhythm of coming to church on Sunday nights has been a very consistent thing for me that I had not experienced previous. Um, this place feels like home. But I will also say to you that I feel like home. And I believe that this is only a reality because I've been able to experience the incarnation of Christ and the reality that he makes his home within me. So Ephesians 3 um, tells us that then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. So I love this. That the idea, like, what if like, God is closer to me than even my own breath? So I... I'm kind of offering uh, that this might be similar than to what Paul and Silas may have been experiencing. So they were able to sing paradise hymns. See what I did there? Um, as they were in the jail cell, because their freedom was not contingent upon the chains of their ankles. Thank you. <laughs> come on, come on church, you can talk to me. Um, Similarly, my feelings of home are not contingent on owning a home or having a home, and that's something I've wrestled with. I'm 34. I don't have a house. I've rented my whole life. You know, like, there comes a point where, like, you just want to live in one place, and you want it to be yours, and you, you know. But I've had to work through, like, my feeling home and settled and centered is not determined if I have a home that has a fence and a backyard for marigold, you know, um, which I would love to have one day. But my feeling of centeredness is not dependent on something else. Um, I now do call West Palm Beach home. I feel very rooted here, and I feel rooted within myself. Like, I'm not a stranger to myself, and I don't believe I'm a stranger to God. And I believe that I only can say this because I said, like, the, the glory of the gospel, of God making his home in me, but also understanding my own wounds, answering those questions, like, where are you? Who told you? What is my story? And slowing down long enough to stay in one place in order to really find home within myself, within God. So why didn't they run? Because they were already home. They were already free. And they knew that they had a job to do. So that call, do not harm yourself, we're all here. They could stay and be witness to his despair without running because of their hope and because they were home. And this is kind of a, this is for free. Um, the jailer called for the lights. So this is the next uh, scripture, 29. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before, fall, before, before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, so the men didn't run because they were at home. They, and then they, were, uh, they allowed the gospel, the true good news, to take root in their hearts, and they were able to offer that to another human being. And the man said, turn on the lights. So he was in shame. 
He was in despair. And instead of staying far away, instead of, you know, uh, not responding to the call, because it sounds like they called out to him, so they weren't near him. So they said, do no harm to yourself. We are here. But then he ran in. He chose to show up. He chose to say, turn the lights on, see me in my pain, see me in my despair, which is, what, which is like what I see people do every week in story group, which is what I've seen so many of you do in the sacred spaces that we hold, and what I hope those of you I don't know are, are willing to do, is turn the lights on. Because if he would have stayed in the dark, in despair, not only would he have suffered his own life from suicide, his family would have suffered, his loved ones, his community, um, his, you know, legacy, um, but he chose, turn the lights on, I'm coming in, and it's, you know, it's not like electricity, but like, get a, get a torch, whatever, you know, there's no electricity in the Bible, okay, um, so, um, turn, not turn the physical lights on, but grab a torch, let me be seen, so the jailer calls for the lights to be seen in his shame, and then he allowed them to lead him home, so now we come to our third point, hospital, So verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Okay, so let's do a little recap, like at the beginning of a Netflix show when they're like, this is what happened. So two men praising God in the fear and suffering, an earthquake, a jailer in despair, a near suicide attempt, a call to do thyself no harm, and now two hopeful and at-home prisoners who stay when they could have run to minister to a family who desperately needed healing. Um, so I recently had a surgery, and it was my like first surgery. I've never been under. I've never like done surgery things or hospital things, thank God. But um, this was my first experience, and I was really impressed by how efficient it was. It was like Palm Beach Medical, and they were just like in and out. Um, they took me in. They set me up. They put me to sleep. They met my physical needs, and they sent me away to do the healing journey. And it's almost a little like oh, well, what happens now? You know, they give you the little printout and they give you the folder, but you're like, what do I expect? I don't know what's going to happen. And then they call you the next day and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know, you know? So it just feels very, like, hands-off when something is big. Anyway, um, but my dream and our dream for our community is that it would feel like a hospital. So go with me here. But not a hospital that sends you away with a folder um, to do the healing but one that invites you to stay and do the healing. Um, So in the early days of this church community, there was a lot of healing going on. There's a lot of healing talk. We were a smaller group at that time. I know there still is. I'm not saying that there isn't, because there still is a lot of healing going on in this precious church. But back then, there was a lot of it. Um, We were kind of finding our voice, finding our ground, finding ourselves in order to be a church. and I had come out of a very painful um, relational breakup, I, a big move, I moved from New York City to here, I had a huge career shift, and the grief was heavy. Um, and I came, in this to, I came into this community limping, um, not physically, you know what I'm saying, but like just emotionally limping. Um, and I felt like this church was a hospital for my heart. I was held and I was heard 
Um, and last week, Brittany shared about hospitality, about radical hospitality, about how we treat strangers. And I could dare to say, like many of you were strangers when you walked through these doors, or those doors when we met in there. Um, most of us were, I was, I was a complete stranger, I didn't know anybody. And I was limping, and I had been told, like, they're cool people here, and I'm like, okay. Um, I don't have friends, so great. Um, and I was greeted with hospitality and patience. I was invited to heal here. And that is the invitation for you as well. I hope you know that. Um, we're invited to heal together. So hospitality refers to a relationship, right? There's two parties. There's the host or the guest and the stranger. Or the host and the guest or the stranger. Um, so the root, the Latin root word of hos, that's in hospitality, hospice, hostel, hotel, those words, the root um, means host, guest, stranger. Um, and the root word, or the, the word patient, like um, I'm a patient in a hospital, comes from patior, I don't know how to say it, but P-A-T-I-O-R, um, which is to suffer. So hence, the hospital can be interpreted as a place where strangers come to suffer, or who suffer, come to be cared for, and cared for with patience. So back to my vision of the church being a hospital. If a hospital is a place where we give care and comfort to strangers, the vulnerable, the wounded, then there's not an expectation that we are fully functioning, like tip-top shape. Are you following? So like after my surgery, I was not, I couldn't like care for myself. I like had, some of you came and brought me food and like helped me do things because I couldn't like walk around and I couldn't like care for myself. I wasn't doing great, right? Because there's a process of healing. Um, so we don't expect the post-op room at the hospital to be a bunch of dancing sprightly people. That's not the expectation. We know you have a surgery, there is a healing time. Um, but I think we start to think, our, to tell ourselves like we have to be like health or more, in more of the process than we actually are. So then we shame ourselves of like, oh, I'm not doing this right or I'm not doing this right. And it's like, well, you're healing. So this, if this is a hospital, then we have to understand like all of us are in this process of healing. Um, we're in a healing process. And my hope is that our church would be that with patience and care. Um, even my uh, counselor, Russ, was like we were talking after my surgery and he was like, yeah, the, the physical healing process takes time, but so does your emotional healing. Like, so does your, your spiritual healing, it takes time. Um, so there's this Henry Nouwen quote that's beautiful. So kind of like let this sink in for a second. Nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, or mentally. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame, they can become a source of healing. We have to become wounded healers. So this church might not have scalpels and epidurals, but we do have midwives. It wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't talk about Brene. So here we go. Um, so Brene Brown talks about a shift in her faith where she moved from seeing faith in church as an epidural as to seeing it as a midwife. So she described that like a lot of us, and I know you probably know this, um, we want a quick fix. We want to figure out how to get through it now. We want it to be over. We don't like to sit in our pain. It is not fun. Give me something that's going to, like, get me out of this. 
Um, but what we know is it takes time. So Brene says, I went to church. She talks about like kind of her re-entry into the faith world. I went to church thinking it would be like an epidural, that it would take away the pain. But church isn't like an epidural. It's like a midwife. I thought faith would say, I'll take away the pain and discomfort. But what it ended up saying was, I will sit with you in it. If we are to be a hospital, we have to learn the art of midwifery. My best friend, Katie Beth, who I hope listens to this and gets the shout out, um, she is getting her license in midwifery right now. So like every day she is found catching babies, is what she calls it. So she is in the weeds, like she's in it, you know? So she is learning the art of how to be present with a woman in the most like painful experience that maybe a woman can have. I do not know, but I've heard it's not fun, okay? So she's, that is her job, is to be with someone at their side saying like, this is going to be awful, but I am here. I am with you. And I think that is our, that is like, what I want us to be able to offer each other. I know we want the pain to go away, but like, what if we were just with each other in the pain? Um, the late Rachel Held Evans um, in her book, Searching for Sunday, offers this. There's a difference between curing and healing. And I believe the church is called to, to the slow and difficult work of healing. We are called to enter into one another's pain, anoint it as holy, and stick around no matter the outcome. The jailer in our story wanted an epidural, and Paul and Silas invited him to hope and then into the journey of faith, the path of the midwife, the hope of resurrection and restoration, the celebration for himself and his family. And in turn, he mended the prisoner's wounds. So that's this kind of like twist that happens. Um, he took them to his home and he cared for them. So they created a hospital for his heart, offering him the good news that like God is here, God is for you, um, Christ is with you, you don't have to hide, there is freedom. Um, so they offered him that and, and he even says, I'm th he's like, guys, what do I do to be saved? Like, tell me what you have, I want it. And so they offered it to him, they said it's Jesus, it's this way, it's this path. Um, and then he invited them to a party at his house. So this is from the message. This is the last verse in our, our passage, but um, from the message version. So he says, there, there in his home, the jailer's home, he had food set out for a festive meal, and it was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in God, and everyone in his house was in on the celebration. So last week, um, if you were here, we had a dinner in the courtyard, and it was a night to remember. I just sat back, and I just looked around at all of you, and all of the stories, and the pains, and the joys that accompany you, and I just kind of like remembered my own journey here, and I just see the work of the midwife here. I see the actual gospel, Chuck kind of used that language, like the actual good news um, of the gospel. Like I see it on display here. I see it in your stories. I see it in your countenance. I see it in your courage. Um, and that is that gospel that we can be seen and that we are loved and that God has made his home in us. So 
those things that you know we started with, like we are seen, we are here, we are, there is hope that God can make his home in us and we can be at home in ourselves because of that and that we can be healed and that as we do that healing work, as we continue to be this family of midwives, that we would be able to offer that to ourselves, to each other, to our city, because this is the good news. And shame cannot live in the light. So as we continue to like digest this and let it like give us the nutrients that it is, that we would have courage to be a hospital, to offer home to others and to be that home to ourselves because there is hope. So would you pray with me? God, you are close. You are home. You are good. And you empower us to be a hospital. I just ask you to continue to give this community courage that we resist the epidurals of our lives, um, that we relax into a space where community is safe and sweet, that we fight for that if we don't experience that, that we continue to lean into the work, God, and that you would just give us hope, continue to remind us that we are not alone, um, that there is a family here, and that you are the dad, the, the mother of that family, God, that you, um, you birth in us courage, you birth in us community. We just praise you for your word and the way it comes to life and helps us move towards you, move towards ourselves, and move towards each other. And I just thank you for this church and this community, and I ask that you continue to bless us and draw us closer and closer. Heal our wounds, God, so that we can be healers. I just praise you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sarah Claire, for leading us. Um, at the retreat this weekend, um, Chuck was doing some kind of tactile, physical things, experiments, uh, one of which was we, we held our hands like this over our face. And we remembered a, a moment in our life when we felt ashamed, where we felt like we wanted to hide. And then he told the story of when he held his daughter that she was really upset one day after school and he went and found her hiding in her bed and he kind of pulled the covers back a little bit and then held her face and just said, Emma, I see you. I see you. And he invited us just to hold our faces like that. And then he asked us to do something that really impacted me. And that was something I'm just gonna ask you to do right now. And you can close your eyes if you want to. You don't, you don't have to do it, of course, if you don't want to, but just to take your, your hand, your right hand, and, and put it over your heart. And maybe, maybe it helps you to close your eyes, maybe you, it helps you to keep them open, but to feel your breath, to feel your lungs expanding, to feel your heart beating. 
And the question that I remember Chuck asking, I don't, I don't even know if this is the one he said, but how are you treating yourself? Are you connected? Are you running? Are you hating? And for me in that moment, the question that came was, Keith, why are you being so mean to yourself? And at the same time, just the compassion of God that I could see the critic in me and that God was allowing me to have compassion, not just on the heart that, that was hurting, but on the critic that was hurting him. So I don't know if you connect with that. I don't know if you struggle with that. There's this God who says he's at home in us. There's this God that says he loves us, that he doesn't condemn us anymore. And yet so often I find myself being a critic, condemning. The jailer invited these freed prisoners over to his house and cared for their wounds, made them a meal. We're coming to a meal tonight of a man who became a prisoner for us, who entered into our pain so that we could be free. And he invites us to continue coming to this meal. On the night that Jesus was betrayed after giving thanks, he broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with my blood for the remission of sin. Drink of it, all of you. And he invited them to come and eat. Family, we invite you to come and eat tonight. The elements are gluten-free. You just take one of the crackers and you dip it either in the grape juice, which will be in the white cups, or in the wine, which is in the green, green cups, and receive this nourishment, this little taste of God's love for you. Take just a moment. Put your hand upon your heart. Ask God to show you the compassion, to show you that he has made his home in you, and then come and eat this meal he has prepared for you.